Hello everyone, the one called fate knocks at your door. It's no way, hunt. we don't want any. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want any lightning AoEs. <laughs> We're all full. Uh, but yeah, the one called fate knocks at your door, yada yada yada. It's Hunt, back with another episode of Tabletop Recap. We're joined by our regular co-host, Big Boy Chungus. Hello. And we also have G, returning as our beautiful guest star. Hello. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, someone <clears throat> tried their hand at DMing today. Yes, I did. Yeah. Had a few bumps and bruises along the way, but I think overall we had a really good time and it was successful so far. It's like when most people DM, it's like a normal like highway. When you DM, it's like a horse trail. <laughs> no offense. I'm just joking I'm around. Not taking. Uh, I just need to watch more people do it and I need to practice more myself. Yeah, so we're all going to roll for initiative to see who gets to start off the podcast. Nat one. Nat 20. You got a nat 20? Yep. I got a critical fail. That's been your, that's been your go-to all day. I've rolled like 10 crit fails today. I got some good practice learning how to punish crit fails today, thanks to you. Yeah. <laughs> we also met the god goblin. You're two really good ones. Shh, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, we're not, to the, we're not to goblin Jesus yet. <laughs> but, uh... Well, it's your campaign anyway, so go ahead and start us off. Okay, so this campaign, it's more of an encounter, really, but I am running the Lightless, or the Sunless Citadel from the Tales from the Yawning Portal supplemental material for Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Uh, basically, what has happened is uh, G, Connor, and Hunt are playing as respective characters trying to figure out a series of mysteries that has been going on in the village of Oakhurst, uh, a little village, a uh, farming village that I have situated about 50 miles southeast of the city of Waterdeep. So, lore. <laughs> I had to do a little bit of lore building. Oakhurst can honestly be anywhere based on the supplemental material. You can do it in a original world homebrew. You can do it anywhere in Faerun you want. Because I eventually plan on running Waterdeep at some point and I wanted this for practice, I just decided to make it closer to Waterdeep in case you guys wanted to have crossovers or anything like that with these characters. Yeah, I like how we walked into town and that old man was like, Y'all coming from Waterdeep or going to Waterdeep? And it was like, you saw which direction we came from. <laughs> he was old and geriatric. <laughs> I'm an old man and every day I wish I was dead. <laughs> so... Uh, do you want to talk about your characters? Connor's not here to talk about his, but we can kind of fill in some of the stuff that he did. Yeah, Connor was... Strange? Edgelord McEdge. What was his character's actual name? Do you know? He just named, He literally named his character Connor after him. His character's name is Connor. I mean, I literally... Oh, no! <laughs> he... Bad! Connor wanted to create basically an avatar of what he believes himself to be. He See, but that makes so much more sense. That dude was an edge lord. He wanted to be a agent for hire who burgles and digs up information for various underground networks, basically for Faerun's version of the uh, what is it, the SCP Foundation? No. And he wanted to be an artificer. He's an artificer with a criminal background. Yeah, he's an artificer, but he's built like a rogue. Yeah, like, that was such more rogue tactics. I, what a weird character. I thought he was. I, it never occurred to me that he was an artificer. I uh. advised him. I, I, I didn't <laughs> tell him what to do. I'd have been a bad DM if I just told him what to I do. I love how right now you're like, let me explain why this isn't my fault. <laughs> 
But he was very adamant about what he wanted, and I just helped him work it into a viable character with stats. The rest was up to him. <laughs> That's pretty cringy, bro. Oh. I mean, I made fun of him to his face a lot about being an edgelord, but if I was paying more attention... He was being himself. Oh, God. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, this place Lord. Like, there was a conspiracy in the town. The good thing he doesn't like us They're enough con- to listen to our podcast. <laughs> but he's he, he actually played fairly well. You know, despite the fact that he is an edgelord, he is being a team player. He's being helpful. He's not playing chaotic or lawful stupid. <laughs> I like how when our characters met, we asked his name, and he was like, that's classified. And then immediately told us what he was there for. <laughs> immediately told us his name. Oh, no, that's that's his whole thing. <laughs> He, uh, he didn't want me to go into a whole bunch of lore about his character. And I'm like, you sure? I can totally come up with something with criminal organizations from Waterdeep or whatever. And he said no. And if you look on his character sheet in the background, it just says, in parentheses, classified. <laughs> says that on his character sheet? Yes. That's so cringe. I don't mind telling you guys that now because we're well into the story at this point. That's so cringe. <laughs> Oh, and I just, like, I just, at the beginning of the campaign, I just straight up asked, like, okay, who am I working with? Just to try and get a feel for everybody. So I was like, that's classified. And I'm just like, Kale Gremlin. <laughs> Tell us about your character, G. Uh, okay, so I played basically just, uh, it's my first character that I sat down and with, with Big Chungus and sat down and You created. put about as much heart into this as I did fate. I, I, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoy the character I made. I, like, I, I probably wouldn't bit more into this backstory than I needed to, but I just because I enjoyed making the character. So I was a brass dragonborn paladin who worshipped the god of Bahamut, who was just kind of the... the, the He's the, the goody two-shoes dragon of the universe. Yeah. I've only played with one other dragonborn paladin, but they lived for four years for the entirety of D&D Club, and they're still alive today. They've been around for over a decade. That's probably a level 20 character now. They are. They're a retired character. Uh, I have a retired character from the same campaign. It's just someone that I've I've been wanting to get into, and it's someone I've actually kind of enjoyed playing. Well, what's your, your character's name? Uh, his name is Maestan Balasar. So Good dragon name. Thank you. I like uh, that. He it actually kind of plays into his um, backstory because he's one of the descendants of the founding members of his uh, religious church, whose name was also Balasar. And um, you don't have to really talk about like your motivation for adventuring or anything right now. You guys will probably uncover that more later. I know he's looking for an axe because he asked every single NPC we walked by. Anyone who had any information about <laughs> mystical or not, have you seen an axe? Because that is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an axe. Which, by the way, I should have probably done a little bit more role playing as DM because this is freaking Dungeons and Dragons. 75% of the population carries around some form of axe. Oh, I see I'm, axes all the time. You need a woodcutter's axe? You need a battle axe? I'm you just, need... it would be, because that's part of, that's the whole reason I was there, is that I was searching for one of the axes in one of my lost uh, founding members of my church. Cool. And I can't metagame, because I'll obviously forget that, because I don't care. <laughs> so, what about your character, Hunt? Clarence? Spell shell. <laughs> my first D&D character with a regular first name. Ever. Uh, Clarence is a tortle paleo-druid. And a paleo-druid is basically just a druid, but for dinosaurs. Yeah, your character uh, grew up in a region around the... Not on Chult, but in He, the, he grew up on Arthur Conan's Doyle's The Lost World yes, Plateau. which I don't know the exact <laughs> name of it, but that area does exist in Faerun. So I totally allowed it. And your guy, your guy was raised by dinosaurs. Which specific type? Iguanodons, the ones with the sharp thumbs. If you talk dumb, you get the thumb. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so if I ever do a unarmed attack, because I have claws that I can do an unarmed attack, but I just stab with my thumbs. I even tried to pick a lock with my thumb today, which was pretty cool. Actually, you could eat. Didn't you work. tried, it kind of <laughs> broke a pick off in it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's just a druid. Uh, I didn't give him any big fancy backstory, because I didn't think this... I, I know we're playing a one-shot, so I was like, this isn't a big campaign. I'm not going to do a big backstory like I did with Gaddick or with uh, Kabuto, or like I did with... Uh, Kivala for Waterdeep when that happens. You named a character Kabuto? Yeah. Kabuto D end. Is that purposely after the character in Is it Naruto? No. Common Rider. <laughs> it's a Japanese name. Oh. Kabuto is a type of beetle. In Asia. Okay. I swear there's a character <laughs> We believe you. <laughs> yeah. Um so those are the character introductions, and basically what's going on is, for their various reasons, um, there is a mystery in the form of a blight that is affecting the town of Oakhurst. Villagers are being found mysteriously um, overnight dead in their fields with needle marks and rough, jagged slashes from an unknown source. So you guys did some investigating in the village, talked to a couple of the NPCs and key players, and not only did you get pointed in the general direction for the mystery of the blight, but you also picked up a couple of side quests as well. Uh, why don't you guys... Do you guys remember much of those? Um, well, the, I feel like finding the missing people is the main basically quest. taking us in the same exact direction as our blight thing. Right. So in... So, also, ahead. we got to save a dragon. <laughs> so the big thing is that... Because when we first got into town, Connor and Hunt's big thing is first I went to the... What was a shrine, but it was, it was attempted looking at a morgue, trying to look at one of the bodies. Whereas the the guy we talked to when I first went in there mentioned that one of the matriarchs of the town had two, two of her family members, two kids. They say kids, but they're like adults. Yeah, Char- and they're ranger Char- bodyguard or yeah, whatever. right. It was uh, the Hakrell Her- family is one of the nobles that basically operates this farming village. The two children, Sharwin and um, Sir Bradford, are the two children of the matriarch and their ranger bodyguard, went to investigate the cause of the blight. And you guys learned from talking to them that there is a sunken citadel uh, just outside of town that goblins will frequently come to and fro, bringing mysterious fruit um, twice each year. Um... Other than that, there's no other hints they could give you. You just know that the Blight might have something to do with the Citadel and that the two or three people who tried to investigate first went missing. They've been gone for about a month and haven't returned yet. I was given a reward to find them. She did. She is a noble, so she did offer you 250 gold per character to bring back um, her children alive. And if you couldn't, she'll give you half the gold for just their signet rings. So you guys proceed uh, to take this information and you head off towards the Citadel. And we had a rather, dare I say, rocky intro to this. What do you mean rocky? I mean... Getting the party together. If you don't start with the party already together knowing each other, it's always rocky and awkward. Because you kind of have to force yourselves to get together and it doesn't it just doesn't make a good story it doesn't I mean, flow I, very well i tried to do the it only, just I, it only flowed well when kami started his campaign and that's it because yeah we it didn't we, flow well at the beginning of karen's campaign yeah 
I kind of took some inspiration from her, but I didn't want to copy it, you know, word for word. Yeah, you did a good job with our little notes telling us our motivations. So you, uh, the Citadel uh, was, I, I said earlier that it was a sunken Citadel. That was because this thing has essentially been swallowed up by the earth, and it is now in this massive trench um, on the side of the road leading out, or just outside of Oakhurst. So you guys wind up climbing down a set of crude stairs leading down, and this is where you guys started fumbling a little bit, because in, in order to access the Citadel, you had to cross a debris field, and Connor kept trying to make these throws and abilities where he was going to tie a rope off on the other side, and he kept failing strength and dexterity checks. Yeah. So he threw his stones down to light up the things. There were rats. Yes, you guys did. You guys did get ambushed by rats. We didn't. Which you defused that situation by. We completely avoided like the first five combats. Yeah, you guys didn't fight anything. <laughs> all because until much all later. All because Hunt's character just like he didn't want to strike first with the rats, so he tried pleading with them first. And, and like nine times out of ten, they just left. Yeah, and I would convince one rat, and then that rat would convince the other rat. So they were like, eh, "These guys are just passing through. We don't need to protect our territory." And then they would just leave. And you know it's a level one adventure. Lots of big rats, therefore. Right. And then we pass. We did that with several more rats until kobolds, and then we passed like two kobold encounters, also. Right. Because so, we befriended them. So basically, the the kobolds. There's a, a little colony of them that is living in the first half of this citadel, and you they can. They're not immediately hostile, but if you're not careful, they could have become hostile. Um, and you basically skipped over a whole bunch of combat encounters right off the bat. Just because just you... I was nice to that one kobold. Yeah, Meepo. <laughs> my character is... I, thought... I want to adopt, adopt Meepo. Yeah, my, my character's greatest flaw is, is also his greatest strength. Like, he's really nice and can make friends easily, but he's also... Yeah, I think your philosophy is you will you would rather befriend than harm, and you'll only harm if necessary. Yeah, you know, like after we roll our initiative, my first turn I don't even attack. Which I really like. That adds a lot of flavor to it. Because there was one time where you actually did befriend someone, or an animal, and he helped you in combat. Yeah, I got a pet for like two seconds. <laughs> we'll get to that. So you, you guys meet Meepo in the Citadel, and he is basically a dragon keeper. He informs you that... The kobolds worshipped a white dragon wormling, uh, but has recently been stolen, kidnapped, removed by the goblins who live in the other half of the citadel. And these guys basically have gang turf wars uh, in the corridors. So you agree to help Meepo and his matriarch, Eustrael, uh, in agreeing to bring back their wormling, uh, Kalkrix. Um, you guys... Begin making your way into what is considered the neutral territory, or as I call it, the rat quarter. Um, and you guys proceed, meet, you see more rats as you start making your way into this more unknown situation. Yeah, and then I was like, I'll do my rat befriending thing. And I rolled like, no, I think it rolled a nat one. And I just rolled really high. And so it became my pet. And normally, when I charmed one of the rats, the others would follow suit. And Connor had to open his big mouth and give the DM ideas. And he was like, well, now you charmed one, now you got to charm the other two. And that's not how it had worked the whole time. He just wasn't paying attention. And then you were like, you know what? Yeah, I'll attack with the other two. And I was like, balls! <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, you guys, you managed to keep, uh, you made a rat friend while vanquishing two more rats, and you got a little bit of loot because these rats, you know, they make. Yeah, I had him stuff. bring me his nest, which was a ton yeah. of stuff. He, he liked you so much, you went into his nest, gathered up all the little bits of shiny metal and gold, silver, whatever pieces, and then he goes, Bleh! and he spits it out at your feet. But after the combat, he only had one HP left, and. I wasn't gonna use cure wounds on a seven HP rat. Let's <laughs> let's be real. So the first thing you do, uh, by the way, G's character at this point is blinded because he rolled a critical fail on a perception check, which happened to him like three times. Yes. Twice, it only happened twice. But you also that happened twice, and then he also couldn't remember who his gods were because yeah. of a nap one. Yes, I tried to do a religious check. One religion check. <laughs> I just forgot how to pray. Oh no. <laughs> Which is funny because my religion doesn't rely on prayer. <laughs> but so this, so he's blinded in another room while everyone else is exploring this larger open room, and it has a fountain in it. And let's talk about the first fountain. So I swapped these fountains in my logic, apparently. So in the room before we made our little rat friend, there's a fountain, and written in Draconic, it says, "Let there be fire." Um, you guys decided not to do it, but yeah, I made a little check with I, me. By I, the way, me and me and Hunt are the only ones who speak Draconic as well as the Kobold. So yeah. Connor is completely left out of any of this information. So we were speaking Kobold, or we were speaking Draconic to Kobolds the entire time, and he was just like, ah. "What?" <laughs> and you guys, speaks, any of you guys speak Celestial? <laughs> And the funny Why did he pick Celestial? I told him he could have picked any language. The least practical language. I mean, the, the ones I... Because I had Common Draconic, and for my two other languages, I chose Dwarvish and Undercommon. Mm -hmm. And that's just because it's... Dwarvish, I feel, is like another common language you just see out in the wilderness. And then Undercommon is just like... It's, it's fiends and demons, isn't it? Uh, no, Undercommon is for creatures who live in the Underdark. So Drow, Duergar, and... Dark, deep gnomes, basically. So it, it's not even for dungeoning. It's still not an uncommon thing to have with you. It, it, you would have you have more use out of undercommon than you would celestial. I mean, it's not like we're going to be talking to the gods. So, I mean, the languages that you're going to use probably the least are celestial, primordial, and maybe... There's a third language that's very exotic and rare. I just don't know. Yeah, whatever. Let's move on. But yeah, it, it said let there be fire. And I was like, well, if I read this out loud, there's going to be a fire trap activate. Was my logic. And you guys decided to ignore it. But I had Meepo make a few checks while you guys were, you know, role playing. And all of a sudden, while you guys are huddled against trying to figure out what to do with this certain door in the room, Meepo goes, let there be fire. <laughs> and of course, me and Hunt just turn around and panic. We were like, no. <laughs> No, Meepo, no! Meepo, what have you done? But then it was like, oh, it gave us a potion of fire breathing. Which was yeah. pointless for me. Yeah, but so it, I it took was, it. It's still a helpful item. So Meepo's like, I give to friends for helping Calcrics. Yeah, and then the next, the next dragon statue said, let there be death on it. And my character's standing in front of it with his one HP rat. And as a player, I get this huge grin on my face. And I'm like, it sounds like a trap. Last one gave us something. 50-50 shot. It's going to be beneficial. Or funny. So, and I would so say 50-50 to you guys, it's 100% something from what I know. Yeah. So it effectively gave him what is like the D&D equivalent of like cancer. Yeah, basically <laughs> it, turned, it, it turned the room with that particular fountain into a gas chamber. All the toxic gas starts spewing out of the, dragon, the fountain dragon's mouth. Killed my rat. Killed the rat. <laughs> Killed my own pet. It poisoned you for a full... 
10 minutes, and Connor and Meepo managed to hold their breath, and they only got poisoned for like a minute. And it was funny. And I carried it right away, though. Because I was blind in the other room, because I refused to leave the wall, because I didn't want to lose my bearings until I was not blind, so I wasn't in the room. Unaffected. So you guys are goofing around in the room with the poison, and you're all getting upset, and... As DM, you start hearing scratching and banging coming from this adjacent room to the poison fountain room, and three giant rats run out, followed by this six-foot-long, bloated, nasty, diseased rat called the bloated one, or gut hurt, or something like that in draconic language. So this is like a legendary rat in this citadel. Um, And you guys... Beat the crud out. It put up a good fight, but you managed to beat the crud out. To of be it. fair, had I not picked up my um, protection fighting style that my paladin had, we probably would not have fared so well. Because I was making Connor sure. definitely didn't fare well. Well, Connor was he standing on the other well. side of the room. He didn't fare well in any combat in the like, two I sessions. Because I, I, I told he literally hid behind us most of the time. I told him to make sure that like you were standing next to me because anyone attacked because of my protection stance. Anyone who's attacked any of my allies, as long as they're like right next to me, the enemies attacking them roll with disadvantage. And Connor, for whatever reason, kept going out in front. He couldn't understand. Bless his heart. He's, he's new to the he's game. He's a new player. He gets which he to be fair, I've made a lot the same mistakes too. Right. But Stop shushing him. You've shushed him multiple I'm, times. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. Um, but Connor learned. The hard way and early on, what attacks of opportunity was from enemies, and then he's kept doing he it, did which it three, was the worst. Two to three more times after he learned that, and I'm like Connor, you have to disengage first and then move. You can't just you can't stop just... running behind me. It's killing you. And then this is awesome, but I feel bad for doing it, um, Connor. <laughs> Was hyping up his weapons because an artificer you can infuse weapons with magical properties, giving them more support, utility, or just more damage. Is when he rolled one? Yeah, yes. he had a, a simple dagger that he infused with a power buff, and then he cast a spell on it, giving it arcane weapon, making this thing like a dagger made of kryptonite that would have slit Superman's throat. Ooh. And um, he gets he wants to throw this thing at the big rat. But he crit failed the attack. So what I did was I had him, he said, you lean back to throw it, and at the height of your arc, you let it go prematurely and it goes straight in the air. You look up as you see it come straight down blade first, and it hits you in your left shoulder blade. And it only did, like, one damage. But he only had... No, well, it didn't. No, he did, it did full magic. He rolled like two d sixes and a d four. Oh, he did. And he, yeah, yeah, he only had like three HP left. He nearly died. He got, oh, he that's got, right, because he went down the negative. He got negative five. Ah, oh. so he went into negative stats. And thank goodness, Meepo, uh, G, and Hunt's characters just you guys quickly eliminated the other rats. Yeah, and you just. Uh, piled on on this diseased rat. Didn't yeah, we beat the diseased rat almost right after he killed himself. Yeah, because I, I cleaved my sword into its skulls. Yeah, and then he failed a death saving throw, and I was like, Care wounds, care wounds, coming through. Yeah, you. so you resurrect him back to 3 HP, and he was fully conscious and in pain. And he kept making sure you were checking for experience, and you were keeping track of that. Oh my god, every time we killed an opponent, he was like, did we get experience for that? I want to be level three more than anything in the world. Evidently, we evidently. And I'll t- okay. If anyone thinks we're being mean to him, all this has been said to his face so, already. We I, we're a group that really rags on each other. Because evidently, Artificer <laughs> gets like a huge power spike at level three. 
all classes start experiencing major class development at level three. He also didn't know how to use Google for the past two. I years. was over because I had never played any sort of major. I've never played any sort of major character to a level two, and I didn't realize like how many spells a paladin got at level two. Yeah, paladin gets quite a few. spells. Like that was terrifying. Like I was too afraid to use any of them. But you have They're so mostly few just spell very slots. simple prayers, though. Yeah. So that happens, and you guys investigated the room that the diseased rat came out of, and that's where you found a ton of treasure, along with the the rain the human ranger that was accompanying the two Hakrell. Siblings, which, which I, I made, a, I made a DM mistake and you accidentally told us you found the ranger. You guys were going to find it out had you keep searching. I, we had already assumed it because process of elimination on the humans down there. It's a right. fresh human body, not with no signet ring, and we've only heard of four humans coming down there. Only three of which are recent. And plus, then you accidentally revealed it was the ranger, and we went, "Yeah, we know, we figured it well, out." Plus, <laughs> the ring that he did have, um, it required no check. To investigate it. And it had his name on it. It had his name on the inside of the ring. Yeah. So mistakes were made, but not detrimental mistakes. So after that, we decide to, you guys cleared the rat quarter and you guys decided to start advancing into goblin territory. And you guys were so adamant about checking rooms for traps and magic at the no, beginning. Connor was adamant about checking rooms for traps. I... Which is not a bad policy. It's not a bad thing. But when but you run Arcana when, and everything. Yeah, when you make five checks on every single door, it's excessive. It got to the point, because my character is normally the kind that would just wait and let the others, he's real peaceful. But I had to change how he behaved specifically so we wouldn't spend 45 minutes in a single room that didn't have anything in it again. So, so I was just like, I walked through the door. I'm walking through doors. Just I'm and walking you, through doors. you do that and you trigger a trap. Yeah, but we wouldn't have gotten half the, the the as far as we did if I didn't do that, though. True. And um, so you trigger this trap, and it's not a lethal trap. It is a bell alarm that notifies the two goblins in this elongated room to take cover and prepare to attack. And this room has two parts. There's the sleeping quarters and the goblins for two goblins that are on the opposite end. And then there's a hallway that is just full of caltrops. They made that room very well, those goblins did. Yeah, goblins may be... They're dumb, but they're not stupid. I'll give them that much. <laughs> For a race of their intelligence, they are interesting. True. And uh, this is where things start getting interesting for you. Because uh, these goblins set up shop after hearing the bell go off. And I say, roll initiative. And with caltrops, you have to make a saving throw or else you take one damage and your movement is halved. Which all of you succeeded your throws... Um, but your movement was still reduced because if you move too much, you have to make another saving throw. Uh, and the goblins just started taking pot shots from this makeshift wall that they had set up halfway between their sleeping quarters and the entrance of this because door. Because run one goblin rolled a, a nat twenty on their initiative. So here's and the, that goblin rolled like a god. That's that goblin, goblin had every Jesus. deity. So couldn't hit him. Hunt's character is the first one in the door, so of course the two goblins are aggroed to him. The first goblin rolls a nat 20 on initiative, so of course he gets not only his regular attack, but a bonus attack. Which Hunt immediately goes into his turtle shell, which gives him a buff to his AC. Yeah. So he's like 21 AC. It takes a lot to hit and damage this guy. The first time this goblin... The goblin has a plus 4 to damage, and he rolls a 19 which gives him um, 22. a 22 to hit, which he does. I say this goblin pulls his bow back, 
and he gets it right in the hole where your head would come out of. And then that extra attack you gave him hit me too somehow. It hit, he rolled an 18 plus 4. No, no, no. He rolled 7. No. Basic math. He rolled a 17 plus 4, gave him exactly 21. Um, and so you took two headshots right off the bat. And Hunt hasn't taken, like, any damage almost this entire campaign. <laughs> I was at max health most of the time. I just, uh... And then... But I couldn't hit... I could barely hit anything, though, was the trade-off. And then, after the Nat 20 Goblin does his attacks, you roll the second highest initiative, and it's your turn, and you want to thorn whip him into the Caltrops. <laughs> but you crit failed the thorn whip. And choked myself! Yeah, you brought the whip back, and as you brought it forward, you your wrist wasn't cocked right, I guess, and it hits... It wraps around your neck, and you choke yourself with a thorn vine. I went from being max HP at the beginning of that encounter to but, three but this was meepo and connor's time to shine because they did because the ones that usually suck in the other combats are the ones that mostly kicked his ass yeah so connor manages to send off a couple of acid cantrip spells and he melts the face off of one goblin and meepo who has a little sling tucked away in his back pocket pocket starts taking caltrops and kobolds in this game hate goblins like it is borderline racist and so meepo's like slinging caltrops into their eyes and dealing damage and he's like an ace shock and eventually you guys do kill the goblins and uh meepo winds up sweeping up all the caltrops yeah. and you guys get like I got 50 that, each i got that final shot on that uh <laughs> on that goblin is right and then just to add insult to injury you got a negative you got a crit fail on a perception check and as you go to look into the room, you trip and fall, and your head hits a stray caltrop that Meepo has yet to pick up. I rolled so many nat ones over these past two sessions; it was insane. How did I do it? You gave you gave Chungus a chance to practice practice his punishment, though. Yeah, because your punishments did get better as they went along. Uh, I liked it. And I almost enjoy rolling nat ones. It's sick. wait, who rolled the nat one that hit me? Oh, that was when you guys were... that. We didn't talk about that one where you guys were fighting the skeletons. Uh, Hunt actually hit you with a scimitar because you uh, hit a crit one. Right. That was me? I don't think that was me, was it? It was you or Connor. One of you guys hit... I'm, it was Connor. It wasn't me. All I know is someone like swung something and he caught me right in the side. Yeah, That you, skeleton encounter was worth it. Even though Connor was hiding in the yeah, corner with one got, HP. You guys got it. some sick items from that skeleton. Yeah, moment. that necromancer whistle was really cool. <laughs> That I was, think another, I, that was maybe another. not destroy. I probably my character probably should have destroyed. You should have it. just destroyed it. But I was I was just like I don't want to touch this thing. It goes completely against what I believe in. I'm not touching this. But you were the fact that you sacrificed a little bit of you didn't sacrifice really an integrity, but you were big enough to say here I can't use this, but I'm sure someone else can. I'll just respect you less for it. Yeah, you gave it to Connor, and you were like, if you ever lose this, I won't respect you anymore. And then I was sitting there like. If he doesn't want it used, why not just destroy it? <laughs> if you would have destroyed that, though, I would have been like, oh, that was a good item, dude. That was a real good item. Raise one undead every seven days. So I gave it to the edgiest guy who's probably going to forget he has it. And if you're Too busy brooding. <laughs> and, well, you, can, you can resurrect an undead once a week, and then you can uh, blow it again if the undead you raised didn't die. You can blow it again to reassert control. That way, you know, because the way unde Raise Undead works is that you have to constantly maintain control of your creatures. Otherwise, they will revolt against you. Because, you know, mindless corpses. 
But so, yeah, after you guys cleared the room with the goblins and the caltrops, you decided to make that your camp. Or you decided to head We moved back, back into kobold territory to camp so we wouldn't get ambushed. Yeah, that's friendly territory. It took a if, long if, for you. If I was DM and you guys camped in hostile territory like that, just in the middle, right where... Well, I was waiting for you guys to do that. That's like I would have had you attacked. You would have maybe had a short rest, not a long rest. Um, you have been attacked, but you you guys played that last session really well, and you guys are your characters are currently taking a nice long nap. We'll get all our nice health respite. back. Get all our health back, and we'll get all our spell slots back. Yeah, I used all my spell slots. Yeah, to, all our spell slots people. were used on cure wounds, both for, of us. Mostly for. Not I used all my I all my lay on hands went to me for most part, but that was because you you said you were going to use cure wounds on Connor. And yeah. then when you ran out of spell slots for Cure Wounds, I used Cure Wounds on Connor and myself. Wild ride. Crazy, right? It was me with a new DM and two new players, and I was just like, let's do this. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it was, I think it's great that you decided to pick a character like you weren't too invested in. Because otherwise, yeah. I feel like you would have been like... Because I knew you idiots getting, would get me killed. Because I figured you guys like would have actually been getting like pissed off at what me and Connor were doing. No. You, as a new player, you and Connor, for the most part, mistakes were made, but you were very positive, very supportive, and most importantly, you were cooperative. I was yeah, just, remember, unlike me on my first play. The big thing I was looking yeah. for, I was just looking for different ways like to like just to throw my character's personality out there, which I didn't find a lot of. I'm just glad you weren't lawful stupid, dude. Lots of first-time paladins are lawful stupid. And you know what? In a lot of these one-offs, there may not be a whole lot of times for you to you know, role-play a lot with your character, because sometimes these one-offs are real combat-focused. Other times, there's just not a lot of lore or story prepped for these. So, for what you're getting, you're doing great. I mean, because, like, my plan, like, for the thing was, like, because the way Hunt handled animals, like, he didn't attack his first combat phase. My second was I didn't quite get the hang of it or actually attempt to do it. But I was planning on having, like, the first part of my combat phase would to ask them to either step down or surrender. Otherwise, I would have to use force. And no, if we're both doing that, though, we'll probably get destroyed. <laughs> it is fun to do, but I'm going to tell you right now, trying to DM and play an NPC is exhausting. Me, yeah. I think everyone... Especially has... when you're playing everyone's favorite NPC, Bone Tooth Scale Skin, and then <laughs> a barbarian rolls three nat ones and chops him in half, and his dying words are, I blame you! <laughs> Remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> the second time. <laughs> you, first time you just... Ripped his arm off. Second time you cut him in half. I, I'm I'm going to adopt. Like my character is going to adopt Mebo though. I'm going uh, to do my best to adopt. We'll, Mebo. we'll end on this. Story. And he's super happy about it we'll, too. We'll end. Up, well, that's because he doesn't know what adoption. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he uh, Mebo is not the. He's very loyal to his clan and to his dragon Calcrix, but he's not very intelligent on anything outside of the Citadel. So Glenn or G's character straight up says. Um, when we're done with all this, I'm going to adopt you. And he's like, what is adopt? Does that involve dragons? And me being the paladin who, the dragonborn paladin who worships a dragon, I said, yeah, kind of. And then he's like, huzzah, hooray for adoption, adoption, adoption. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Even though he's clearly an adult because they put him in charge of babysitting their god. It's because he's two and a half feet tall and he has a high-pitched voice. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Carry him around in a baby Bjorn. Like if at any point, like my character shows up at some point in someone else's campaign, he will have Meepo just sitting on his shoulder. What was the story you wanted to end it on? Oh, that was it with Meepo oh. getting excited about adoption. <laughs> nice. 
But uh, yeah, that's it. So that's about the two campaigns. Uh, what was this uh, called again? The Sunless Citadel. It's uh, an encounter that you can do either as a one-off or as an insert to an already existing campaign for Dungeons & Dragons 5e. The Sunless Citadel. So that's it. Thank you all very much uh, for your support. Remember to check out all the cool links for social media. And then we got merch on eBay and etc. Remember that, G, if you want a shirt for the podcast, you know. Why would I wear a shirt to a podcast? You're wearing a shirt now. They don't know that. <laughs> you aren't wearing pants or underwear, though, which is concerning. There's just a wig over your crotch, and I'm very concerned as Who to said this it was fashion choice. We're ending. <laughs> Absolutely, the podcast is over. <laughs> the podcast is over. People have hair. That's PG. <laughs> Some have more hair than others, apparently. But uh, that's it. And we'll see you all next time when fate knocks at your door.